Praise be Jesus Christ. Slava Jesus Christ. Please be seated. <clears throat> Today is the Sunday after the exaltation of the Holy Cross. So we're finishing, come to the utpost, the farewell of that feast. So now we don't have a big fast coming until the Philippian fast for Christmas. What do you think of that? But you still have to abstain. To paraphrase the gospel today, to emphasize uh, the meaning of it, I'm going to change a little. We'll call it poetic license. And I'm going to say, he who gains the whole world and loses his soul, loses everything. Name the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus our Lord, these are sort of scary days. Uh, our church in uh, Seattle is not open today. How many cases of this um, virus? And I don't know if that's all it, but anyway, that's pretty well sick. So the, the pastor went and he got tested. He's fine. So they're going to have church, but it's not open. I guess a few will come and they'll broadcast it. You know, they have, they have that machinery there. Everybody can see it on their computer. So these are sort of scary days. And uh, they say the hospitals are full and they not necessarily be in COVID-19, but it doesn't help the situation anyway. I've been thinking this week about uh, my Sunday sermon, and um, my mind wasn't at all on uh, what's going on in the world because that's a waste of time. I was thinking about our Holy Father's visit to Slovakia, how beautiful it was. And he celebrated, he, he concelebrated Divine Liturgy, the Byzantine Catholic Divine Liturgy in Preshov. And the Archbishop there uh, was the main celebrant. There are many, many priests. There were there gathered uh, for that liturgy 25,000 people, Greek Catholics. I was amazed because I wondered just how many survived all the persecutions. And of course, that's only in Slovakia. And I looked at them as they stood there. I was so amazed. I watched the whole liturgy. And you, they also had a, a talk he gave in Košice for the children, for the young people. You might find that uh, uh, and let them see the young people there 
and they gave testimonies to their faith. Well, I, I went to bed. That was too late for me. I couldn't stay up. But I listened to the Holy Father's sermon, and it was all about the beauty of the cross, because he was too celebrating with the Byzantines. And uh, I can't repeat word for word what the Holy Father said. But he didn't speak in Slovak, he spoke in Italian. And when he came to the blessings, usually the bishop gives the blessings during the liturgy, he gave them in uh, Latin. And he was dressed in red vestments, Latin rite. Everybody else was in Byzantine vestments. It was an out-of-door liturgy, and I'm always surprised at the creativeness of the Europeans because they had a great big uh, protective covering over him. They usually do when you do that in America, you roast to death in those things when you're standing up there celebrating, you know. But they had opened the top of it, the back, well, the back wall, they opened that, so air was coming in there. And I thought, aren't they smart? Not only that, we're having rough weather here, but I looked around, uh, you know, around the, what they showed in the countryside. It's still beautiful and warm there, and everything is lovely and green. And uh, they like to know about that, because first time I went to Slovakia to visit, I was wondering if they had the same plants that we have here, and the same trees and everything. Well, they do. <laughs> they have the same thing. And I was tickled at that. There were lots of people there, 25, I don't know, like 2,500,000 or something like that. I don't know, 25,000 it was. And they all fit in there. And uh, they all look like Americans because they ape America styles. And they had all these American clothes on. Just looked like our own people here in America. The liturgy was sung beautifully. The altar area was set up just like ours with the tetrapod, and they had the Holy Cross on the tetrapod. And the Holy Father came down with the other bishops and adored the Holy Cross. And they gave out communion under both species. They used some kind of spoons, they used a spoon for each person. So they must have had 25,000 spoons. So they had them standing there, and they go to communion, and they drop that spoon into another container and take another spoon. Of course, there are many, many, many priests there to give communion to 25, I don't know, 25,000 people, yeah. I enjoy myself thoroughly. And in the remarks of the Holy Father, what little Italian I could pick up, he was talking about marginal people. And of course, we Ruthenians have been marginalized for a long time, but it's certainly not marginalized when the Pope comes to see it. That's interesting. And so when people ask you, who we are, 
our little church, our little monastery, say, or the Pope was just there visiting them. Let them know. And uh, the Archbishop from Kushitse, at the end of the liturgy, gave a little talk, and he said that we are a Suri Yoris church. There's 22 such churches in union with the Holy See of Rome. And, uh, and he said, he, Suri Yoris means we're a self-ruling church. We're in union with Rome, but Rome does not rule us, although they do have the congregation over there of the Oriental churches. And of course, the Russians like that, so they're going to keep it. It hasn't been very long. It's been about 100 years. And uh, I thought to myself, what a beautiful gift. I thought about my grandparents and why they came to America. They came to America to make a living. That's why they came. But they brought their church with them so they could have the beauty of the Byzantine Ruthenian liturgy. My grandparents, when the priests uh, in Europe, we were always called Greek Catholics. Maria Teresa called us that when she called to attention the Holy See that we were around with the Union of Ustara in 863. And uh, my grandparents were in church one Sunday and the priest tried to explain to them that we were Ustans and we were Ruthenians. All those people over there are Ruthenians. I mean, uh, but they're all broken up into different little national states now, and they're sort of fighting with each other. Even the real Russians, the real ones, are Ruthenians. But my grandparents didn't like it. They thought the priest got up and said we were all Russian, and they didn't want to be Russian. They wanted to be what they were, Greek Catholics, and be left alone. Nobody ever leaves us to do our thing. Uh, although we have beauty, splendor, glory, high spirituality, and very humble people. In Slavonic, we call our people the Pobozhny. We call them God's people because they are prayerful and humble. So anyway, uh, Oleg called me. He's having troubles again. And uh, trying to help him a little bit. And anyway, he was down in Ruthenia painting a church, murals on the walls like these. And he, he was, the church was open there. He says, you, all day you saw people coming in and praying and crying and loving God. Because there were, their heart, they're physically, and their work life is hard. They don't have all kinds of doctors and hospitals, and even if you go, there's not much they can do for you. During the communist years, the first time I went to the old country, I went to my physician and I got a box of penicillin, like this, about this big. And, I, and uh, I carried it on the plane with me so nobody would get it all the way to uh, 
and, and uh, all the way there, stopping over and getting the next plane. And, and I held on to it. So then I went and I met the bishop of, uh, let me get it right, in Usharat. Samedi was his name. He was very persecuted. And uh, they, everybody had to have a job, so they made the bishop a garbage man. He was very happy to have the Americans there, and I gave him a pectoral panagia of Our Lady from our bishop, because I could say, say a few words anyway who was from in Slavonic. And I gave the, when I, we were by ourselves, I says, here's a box of penicillin for priestly families for the, if they're sick and they need. So I said, do you know what it is? He says, he says, I know what it is. And I gave him the box of penicillin to help the people, help our, especially our priestly families. The liturgy that day was in a cemetery and it was huge. So many people there. And I had brought um, holy cards to give them. They're very hard to get out. And I, I got scratched. They were going to crush me. So I just took the holy cards and threw them into the crowd and let them pick them up. I was afraid I'd get crushed. And I went to one woman. I gave her a holy card. Oh, she, she was still crying and everything. You know, I was in a architectural village. And she wanted to give me some. I said, you have nothing to give. I said, I have these for you. All you can give me is your prayers. And I want those prayers. Uh, we went uh, up to Bardev, that on that trip and <clears throat> to visit a Greek Catholic church. There's a Greek Catholic museum there too. We went to see that. And uh, all around that area were remnants of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. There was a beautiful statue of Franz Joseph's wife. They say she was the most beautiful woman in Europe, and she was beautiful. Even the statue was beautiful. And she was Italy, I think, in Lake Como, and somebody assassinated her. His life was nothing but sorrow. So. His brother, one brother, came to Mexico. He was the first emperor of Mexico. And uh, the French had sent him up there. They left and they, they assassinated him. But I think they got his body back to uh, Austria. It's in the tomb there. His other brother, he was, uh, his other brother, he was uh, assassinated in, uh, in the, during the First World War, and that started the First World War. So the only heir to the throne was his nephew, Charles or Karl in German. And of course, he had ruled in our part of Europe, and, and he used to be called Galicia. There's a book out on him now. I mentioned it before. He was a magnificent emperor and king. 
He was actually crowned king of Hungary, but then they rushed him out of this town. They didn't want to visit with the people or anything. The people did not want to get rid of the monarchy. It was the liberals. They, they spoil everything. So um, he was canonized, I mean, beatified by John Paul II. And they had met once briefly. But they all came from the same turf, same people. And you know, the Austro-Hungarian Empire was multi-ethnic. It had many, many different kinds of people. And they all got along. But they were poor. The Nestor Revolution came and brought these people from the farms and the countryside into the city. Of course, the city there wasn't adequately arranged for that type of invasion. And even in England, they had big troubles. I'm just uh, watching a series on Queen Victoria. You know, England was no better than Slovakia in those days. They didn't give them an adequate wage. They had terrible 15 people living in one room. No facilities, no sanitation. In, in what brought, I think, the communists into power and everything was the dire need of those workers it had so little in Eastern Europe and even in Western Europe. Of course, hopefully we're all better off these days. But when I watched the Holy Father, I had to think that the Catholic Church really created Europe. It converted the people, it educated them, it gave them their holy faith. It gave them beautiful liturgy, beautiful prayers. And that's what made civilization. And we have to appreciate that. So even when we look around our little temple, it's a beautiful temple. The art, the liturgy, our prayers, these are the gift of the church to us, both Eastern and Western. It always seems that some politicians, regardless of what they are, want to destroy us. But I think about God. I think about beauty. I think of the beautiful things I experienced when I was a child, the holidays, the processions, the flowers, the decorating of the church, the candles, the singing. And now everything at home was, was, was circulated around that liturgical celebration like Easter or Christmas or all the other holidays. We have 24 holidays in the Eastern Church. It seems like the women always had something to, to, go, to go with that holidays in praying the fast and fasting, going to church for the beauty of the services in Lent, and learning the most important thing that church teaches, 
that God, our God is a God of beauty and love. I want to tell you, our God is a God of beauty and love. And we express that very well in the churches. And we try to express them in our homes. So after thinking about this and seeing the Holy Father in Slovakia, I sat in my chair, you know how I do. I said, I've got to be grateful. And uh, <laughs> he's walking a little. He's not walking too good, too well. He had the same operation I had. It's just recently, though. And I'm getting better, but he was limping a little. And I had my ups and downs with my back, the sciatica. And he did a splendid job. And the people were so pleased to see him, to celebrate their faith, to be a recognized minority in the Catholic world. Beautiful. He gave as a gift uh, there to the church beautiful chalice and an icon of the mother of God and while he was there he crowned the icon gave the two crowns one for our Lord and one for our lady usually only the Pope does that and he did crown the, the icons and uh, he looked around I wonder what he thinks of these people who suffered from the Germans. They thought the Russians were going to liberate them. <laughs> they, became, they became punishing us too. And I know many stories from the family. I can't go into all those in our homily this morning. But what I came up with after watching all this was that our faith is the center of beauty in our lives. Our faith teaches us that God loves us, that Jesus Christ let his precious blood flow for our salvation, that he gave us the sacraments to especially preserve our families and our faith and come together for the Eucharist. And he feeds us on his body and his blood. My goodness, it's all beautiful. Years ago, in Yonkers, a long time ago now, they would have Corpus Christi. It was a, actually, Corpus Christi is an American uh, institution. It was started in Philadelphia. It's not universal. But everybody used to have it, even some of the Eastern churches. And even if we didn't have it, we'd go to the celebration. And it was beautiful. There would be the priest carrying a monstrance with the Blessed Sacrament in it, and four men carrying a canopy over him. There would be many, many, maybe three or four, uh, servers with censers swinging incense and there would be flowers strewn before the the procession in front of the sacrament 
and they would go to three or four stations in the town, different places. They would stop there and have benediction with the Blessed Sacrament in each of those places. It's not particularly common in our church, although we have it, and we call it Seplicatii. It's mostly, mostly in Europe. Here we're so, we're very Puritan about our Byzantine, right? It was all expression of faith and love of our Lord. It took a lot of organization, a lot of people bringing flowers and getting their route and thousand people walking in the procession, people opening their homes so we could have benediction on their front porch. And everybody was there. The Greek Catholics were there. The uh, Roman Catholics were there. And you know, in, my, in our town, we had we were Ukrainian Catholics. We had three or four different rites in that little town, all very Catholic. What makes me so happy is that these things teach a person how to love. That more there's more than work and money. There's family, and there's love, and there's babies. And this gospel today is teaching us, yes, you can gain all the things in the world. You can put your mind on that. You're smart enough, you can do that. I said, what treasure, what will that treasure do you if you don't have God in your heart? There is no life without God. There is no life without a moral life. There is no life worthwhile without beauty. And most of the beauty I've seen in my life, and I've been to Europe and everywhere, you know, I usually visited churches anyway. All those churches were expression of faith and beauty. Over Europe, 2,000 years of that. You go to a big town, the communists built this or that, or there's industrial revolution. Buildings are ugly. The buildings that were built by the Austro-Hungarian Empire and the emperors are beautiful. They're works of art. Churches are works of art. Even the smallest little church, the little Greek Catholic church, 400 years old, made of logs. The painting, the icons were primitive, beautiful way up in the mountains. People coming from the village singing, and when the bell, priests rang the bells, beautiful. When they saw us visiting, they were thrilled. The communists told them, there's no more Greek Catholics. They all died out because the priests got old. And when we arrived, there were 40 of us for that union of Osirad, the celebration. They were amazed, and they were standing on the roof of the airport in their folk costumes, singing for us. Well, that brought tears to your eyes. It's wonderful to go 3,000 miles 
to visit a people who sing the same music and the same liturgy and the same songs as you sing at home. And you could gather right and go right into it. It's wonderful. It's wonderful of our Holy Father to go to Eastern Europe, which today is the remnant of Catholicism. Hopefully, it'll persevere. Western Europe has lost its soul. Western Europe, yes, there are churches, but they're empty. Some people are in there. They're museums. God loves a church. God loves a church filled with prayer. God loves those people to remember who he is. One more story, and I think I've told it to you before now, and we'll get back to the liturgy. So this Orthodox priest, he had a young man, and the young man wanted to be a priest or a monk or something, and he's driving the priest and that's talking to him, you know. So he says to him, uh, why don't you go down to the cemetery and pray? So this family was burying uh, somebody in the family that died in there, and he started to bother them, and they sort of pushed him away. So he came back to the priest, they wouldn't let me pray, pray with him. He said, well, you can sit here and pray for yourself, pray to God. He says, go into the church, go into the church. There's a lot of people in there. So he went into the church, and the, the church was humming. As you know, when we pray, we usually move our lips and say the words. That's the Eastern way. In church, we sing everything, especially we primitive Byzantines. And he said to the priest, what are they praying for? And the priest was going, he says, well, you should stand here and pray. Maybe you'll find out. You know, maybe you'll find out. So anyway, an angel came to him. And they said, listen. And they gave him a vision of heaven. So he looked up at heaven, and the singing or the prayer in heaven was very, not too much, not very loud, not just, just very little. And uh, yeah, the young man said, well, all those people in church praying, that certainly could, should make an impression on heaven. He says, listen to the people what they're praying for. They're praying for themselves. They're not praying to the glory of God. They're always telling God what they want. Now, if they would speak to him of their love of him, heaven would sound with joy. Look at the beauty around you, especially here on the mountain. We have all in nature around us. We have the best of food. Most of the time, we have the best of neighbors. And thank God. Thank God if your children are well. 
Thank God if you're well. Thank God for the beauty of a flower. Thank God for your goats or chickens, whatever you have. They're a lot of fun. Thank God for the mystical life, the drought that grows in your soul. It's making you go deeper and deeper in love with him and always praise him so that all day long prayer will be on your lips saying thank you and have mercy on me, a sinner. Name the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.